Research Grant. During the spring, the trustees approved a grant of £66,900 to Dr Michael Cheatham at the Institute of Ophthalmology, London, for a three-year research project investigating pharmacological therapies for the types of RP related to problems with rhodopsin. Mutations in rhodopsin are the most common cause of the severe inherited blindness, retinitis pigmentosa, or RP. We now know that the majority of these mutations cause disease by affecting the ability of the rhodopsin protein to take up its proper shape. When it cannot adopt the proper shape, the rhodopsin protein cannot function properly, but more importantly, the mutant protein aggregates. These aggregates form within the cell into large clumps, and like blockages in a drain, they stop the light-sensing cells from working properly and ultimately lead to their death. This research is aimed at finding drug treatments that can affect the aggregation of these mutant proteins so that we can prevent or reduce the formation of these clumps and thereby help the light-sensing cells live longer. We will do this by using a living laboratory model of cells in culture expressing normal and mutant rhodopsin, which we can follow by means of a fluorescent tag and observing the effect of drugs on the fate of the proteins and the cells. When the drugs have been identified, that can help the rhodopsin take up the correct shape or help the cells live longer. These drugs can be tested in other systems before being taken into the clinic to help RP patients. Importantly, drugs that are effective for rhodopsin RP may be useful for many other forms of inherited retinal degeneration where mutations affect the structure of proteins. A Ride to Remember by Selwyn Higgins I have chosen to write about a recent experience on the possibility that readers who still have a reasonable amount of vision left may wish to have a go. For a birthday treat, my wife booked me for a day out on a Whitbread 60 ocean racing yacht, which we saw advertised in the local paper. As some of you know, my pastime has for many years been sailing, but this boat is in a very different class to my old thing. It's a fantastic boat, 64 feet long, and the one used for these trips came second in the Whitbread Round the World race. On a one-day sail you don't get round the world, but at the speed this one achieves you cover a fair few miles. We spent much of the day skimming across the water with the deck at about 45 degrees and the lower rail underwater most of the time. Everyone gets a turn at the wheel, which certainly puts colour in your cheeks. They take ten visitors plus a professional crew of three, and everyone has plenty of work to do. For obvious reasons of safety, they have to ask questions about health and mobility on the application form, but I would imagine that someone whose RP is at an early stage could be accepted. There is always the possibility that you may wish to treat a sighted partner as a gift for a special occasion. On the day I went, there were about equal numbers of men and women, the boat sails from Southampton, and in addition to day trips, they also do a sail across to Cherbourg with an overnight stop. This boat has done sailing to Cherbourg in four hours under sail, which is faster than the ferry. If you would like more details, the firm is Blue Box Sailing, and their number is 07971 624 450. The following article has been written by Eddie Woodbridge of Plymouth but as it is too long to produce in one issue, I have to serialise it over two newsletters. Taking Steps by Eddie Woodbridge Think I've got the hang of this at last, Emma tapped on the keyboard. Been trading babysitting for some basic internet lessons with the young couple next door. Fantastic! Messages whizzing all around the world, faster than phoning, faster than posting, cheaper too. Incredible! I want to learn more. There are a couple of computer classes at college, Thursday mornings and evenings, how about we sign up for the morning one? We could grab a bowl of soup somewhere afterwards, catch up on all the gossip. What do you think? She clicked the send button and sat back with a smile, imagining the message chuntering around the inside of the computer, squeezing down the phone line, then streaking up into the cold, dark night before pinging off a satellite and finding its way back to Sue's computer. It has probably arrived already. She sat playing around for another half hour, then checked her email, but there were no new messages. So closing everything down and switching off the halogen lamps on her desk, she went to bed. Chris, her husband, had gone up over an hour ago and was fast asleep. Or maybe he was just pretending. She knew he wasn't the least bit interested in computers and certainly wouldn't want to talk about it at this time of night. But Emma went to sleep with a smile on her face. 
A whole new world was opening up for her, for both of them since they'd moved to Exeter. So many things on offer, and time to do them now they'd retired. But Sue's answer next day was disappointing. She'd already signed up for the evening class. The morning one was fully booked. Emma sat and thought for a long, long moment. There was no way she was going out at night. She tried to convince herself that she wanted to stay in because the winter nights were so cold. There were masses of programmes worth watching on TV. She had a pile of books she wanted to read, but knew she was only kidding herself, really. It made her angry when she stopped and thought about it, so she tried not to, or else made excuses to herself. Then she'd look for an alternative solution, trying to pretend there wasn't any problem. But there was. She'd first become aware of it 15 years earlier when they were living out in the sticks, as people referred to the rural areas, and she was destroying wing mirrors rather more than one would expect, even allowing for having to drive along such narrow lanes. So she'd arranged a visit to the opticians. She'd remember that appointment for the rest of her life. My arms aren't quite long enough, she'd joked to the young Irish optician. I need to be holding the paper at arm's length to even begin deciphering the words. Her husband had suffered the same problem ten years earlier, but a pair of glasses had sorted things out perfectly. The optician ran through the sight test, then stood peering into first her right eye and then the left, and back to the right again. It's ages since I've had a handsome young man gazing into my eyes for so long, she said, smiling. Ah, sure, but you've very interesting eyes. I bet you say that to all the patients. Oh no, your eyes really are interesting. You have retinitis pigmentosa. What's that? The explanation that followed poured over her like melting snow cascading off a roof once the thaw sets in. Trying to explain the horror of it all to Chris and herself later, she said that although the sight she had at present was good, apparently she was developing tunnel vision and would eventually become blind. As she already knew, her night vision was virtually non-existent. It was a genetic disease and nothing could be done about it. I've got to go to the eye hospital for more tests, she added. Perhaps they can do something, but they couldn't. She felt completely helpless, but hoping to learn more about the condition, she joined the Retinitis Pigmentosa Society and met fellow sufferers at social and money-raising functions. It appeared there was no cure at present. The only thing to do was to raise money to fund further research. She gave up driving at night, but continued to use the car by day, and life carried on much as before. But on her third annual checkup at the hospital, the specialist told her that her field of vision had deteriorated to such an extent that she must give up driving completely. Continued next issue. R.A.G. Retinal Awareness Group, Blackpool Weekend, by Dennis Haig. Not only are there many forms of retinitis pigmentosa, or retinal dystrophies, but many ways of coping with it. Some will try to ignore it and hope it will go away. Others will try to hide it. Some will sit at home waiting for a cure. What does this do to your family? Do not forget, they have to live with you. What about their feelings? The Retinal Awareness Group is holding a weekend in Blackpool from Friday the 23rd to Sunday the 25th of April 2004. Our concerns include mobility and safe ways of getting around independently, employment, keeping your job or retraining for a new career, how to face the future. Are you raising children with RP? The weekend is designed to give you and your family the opportunity to speak to advisors, get information and speak to others in a similar situation. Staff from Sense will be in attendance to assist those with a hearing problem. The Parent Link Group will be part of the weekend. An exhibition of low vision aids and equipment for the home and employment will be available. Mr Andrew Webster from Moorfields Eye Hospital London will explain RP and answer your questions. We're using the Hotel Sheraton, which provides excellent food, comfortable lounges, ensuite rooms and lifts to all floors. It also has a swimming pool and sauna. Provided we have 160 people attending, we have sole use of the hotel. For further details of the weekend, please send a stamped addressed envelope to the following address or telephone Margaret Townsend on 01727 758636. Dennis Haig, 23 Holland Gardens, Fleet, Hans, GU139NE, 01252 
684320. Editor's note. In your first paragraph, you forgot one group, Dennis. Those who do not sit at home waiting, but devote considerable time and effort towards raising funds to find that cure. Christmas Quiz by Chris Goodwin. For the last few Christmases, I have been raising money for BRPS in a simple and fun way and would like to let you know about it, as you may also like to do the same. At my workplace, I have advertised with email a Christmas quiz. It takes the form of a single sheet of A4 with a number of clues to answers generally on a theme. The clues are a mixture of easy and hard, straight and cryptic clues, normally about 25 in all. Anyone entering the quiz must pay a pound for the question sheet and I give a strict deadline as to when the forms must be returned. As an incentive, I buy a box or tub of chocolates as a prize. My wife marks the returned answer forms and next day I announce the winner and present the prize. If need be, I hold a tie-break question which adds a bit more excitement. The quiz takes only a few hours of my time overall and I become quite popular as the guardian of the answers during the week when the quiz is out. I raise a tidy sum each quiz. If you would like to do such a quiz, then I would be delighted to email you a copy of the quiz I distributed last year, which happens to be on the theme of cities and towns of the world. You can always make your own up, of course. And it doesn't have to be restricted to work colleagues. Any group you know, or even simply your friends and family, are likely to be more than happy to donate a pound in return for a quiz sheet, which, with some of the more cryptic clues, can provide hours of entertainment. My email address is cns, that's c-a-n-d-s, dot goodwin at virgin.net. Have fun. Friendly Group by Anne Davenport. On the 25th of September 2003, we are having the Friendly Group for Deaf-Blind People. There is a buffet at 12 with a speaker. It will be held at Rushcliffe Arena, Rugby Road, West Bridgeford, Nottingham. Also, there will be a loop system on the ground floor at the meeting for people who live in the Nottingham area. Any deaf-blind person who is interested in coming, transport will be paid for. If you want help with sign language or manual sign language, then send a note with your name and your address to Self-Help Group, Friendship Group, Ormiston House, 32-36 to Pelham Street, Nottingham, NG1 2EG. Retina Week by Murray Portlock Remember, we want the general public to be more aware of RP and of our fundraising efforts. Please publicise in the local press, radio, magazines, etc. the events of whatever kind or whatever size which you are planning and let me know so that I can write a press release nearer to the date. The number of events are just as important as their size. We want to be noticed. Good luck. Branch News. Cambridge branch, from Marion Mansfield. We kicked into fundraising mode in January, literally. The dance at Thriplo was a sellout, and we danced till we dropped with exhaustion to misspent youth. You must hear them. They're a fantastic bunch of guys who never fail to get you bopping away on the dance floor. Thank you, guys. We love you. Thriplo was a village buzzing with energy, vitality and talent that night, and we raised in excess of £600. Maureen's friends entertain us with their talk about their exciting adventures during five years of sailing round the world, and the talk, plus social, raised yet more money for our funds. Our annual spring jumble sale raised £120, which was a bit disappointing, but the Thriplo Daffodil Weekend was a fantastic success, and we raised mega money, £1,800, by holding a tombola, bric-a-brac, book and card stalls in Anne and Clive Fisher's garden and driveway. This event attracts hundreds, and there are lots of attractions with other charities raising money and raising their profile. The village looked an absolute delight. The spring collection at Scottsdale Garden Centre raised £480, and Connie's Golfing Day raised £653. Thanks, Connie. Anne Fisher worked hard to gain an Awards for All lottery grant for the branch, which will help us to forge links with members in the north of Cambridgeshire. The date for this meeting is the 20th of September at St Mary's Church, Peterborough. Will those interested please contact Anne? Now some diary dates. By the time this newsletter is out, we should have held a coffee morning at Marion's, a garden party at Anne's and a punt picnic in Cambridge. 
On the 13th of September, we have our Cambridge City Street Collection. 20th of September is the AGM. For more details, phone Anne Fisher on 01763 208 045. Come and join the fun. To finish, Maureen would like to say thanks again to Connie and Edith for boosting the Cambridge Fund so much. The cards are such a success and we are all proud of your stand at the AGM. Croydon and District Branch, Joan Rakanya. Our next branch meeting is an exciting one. Professor Bird from Moorfields Eye Hospital is coming to Purley Hospital in the committee room at 2pm on Saturday the 20th of September 2003. We hope to see as many of you as possible bringing family and friends. Remember there will be free refreshments. This will be a great opportunity to hear up-to-date research matters as well as asking questions that you want to ask. For further details, please ring Joan on 020-8660-8164. Devon and Cornwall Branch, Carmel Harford. The branch is halfway through this year's fundraising events. A most enjoyable one was the art exhibition at the Crefto Gallery, Helston, on June the 9th. It was hosted by members Francis and Trevor Gibson. Francis is the artist, whilst Trevor, the RP sufferer, makes the frames. Carmel and Graham attended and brought one of Fran's paintings of Buckfast Abbey, Devon. We are grateful to Fran and Trevor and also to Edna Bray, owner of the gallery, for their hard work and support to our branch. The event raised nearly £500 and a photo shows Fran and Trevor with a painting. We are looking forward to the cream tea at Trevithorn Farm in July, hosted by the Gale family. Carmel and Roma Treen from Exmouth attended this year's AGM in Bournemouth and found the news on the research front exciting. Perhaps it will not be too long before we can all retire from RP, but in the meantime, could the branch please have some helpers at the street collection on September the 26th and also the Tesco collection on October the 3rd and 4th? Ring Carmel for details. Hope everyone enjoyed the summer. Hampshire branch, Martin Mulholland. We are now just past midway through our collection year and to date have raised £7,900 at collections. One highlight at Winchester which raised £1,444, but best of all was our visit to Longstock Water Gardens. These are owned by John Lewis PLC and open to the public on two Sundays a month in the summer from 2 to 5pm. Each opening is assigned to a charity who man the gates and car park and for their trouble can keep all of the admission money, subject to some minor expenses to pay a few regular staff. We had a brilliant sunny day in May, the gardens were wonderful and we raised a net £1,792. There cannot be much better ways to raise money, and hopefully we will get to do it again in two or three years' time. Hearts and Beds Branch, John Westwood. Long-standing members Janet Monk and Alex and Sonia Jack joined officers and committee members present to make a total attendance of 10 at our 26th annual general meeting on the 28th of June. After Kate's, the chairman's report, Fred, our treasurer, gave his financial report on another successful year, sending a total of £7,800 to central funds. The officers and committee were re-elected to serve for another year. Alec and Sonia reported on their attendance at the AGM in Bournemouth. The news of clinical trials was particularly encouraging. After the meeting, Kate and Jeff Fortnum provided us with homemade cakes and tea, and Ken and Marion chipped in with homegrown strawberries. Later that evening, Kate and Jeff went north to join Lance and Andrea Cannon and the Linslade Community Society at their Midsummer Ball, which was held at Aylesbury Vale Golf Club. A good time was had by all, and another big cheque is on its way to RP funds. For 25 years, we've held several meetings per year at the Wayside Centre Potter's Bar. However, due to poor attendance in 2001-2002, we've restricted our 2003 booking to one meeting. This will be our Christmas social with food and wine. All members, relatives and friends are welcome to join us on the 6th of December. We very much regret to record the death of Mrs Marie Crawley of Potter's Bar. Marie's husband Frank had RP and they were a popular couple at our many events at the Wayside Centre. After the death of Frank in 1989, Marie continued to support the branch and remained a cheerful lady until she was stricken with motor neurone disease. We will all miss her very much. 
London branch, Matthew Tagney. This is early notice to all London members that the London branch plans one Saturday lunchtime in December to repeat and build on our successful foray last year into festive sing-song in a central tube station foyer, which raised hundreds of pounds in just a couple of hours. Look on our website, phone one of the committee or come to one of our regular meetings if you would like to exercise your vocal cords and help us to raise funds while getting into the festive spirit. All are welcome to our monthly meetings. Details on our website or call Iona. Reminder of branch contact numbers. Alex, Treasurer and Welfare, 07949 021999. Matthew, Secretary, 020-7735-3428. And Iona, Chairperson, 07971 272142. South East Scotland branch, John Honeyman. When Ken Reid asked me if I would do something for him, I immediately said, yes, Ken, what's the question? I wasn't quite expecting, will you take over as branch chairman? So here I am, composing my first snippet of branch news, better break myself in gently with a nice short piece. I could not possibly start without saying a few words of thanks to Ken for being the driving force behind our branch over the past five years. Through his efforts, we have enjoyed the company of many guest speakers at our meetings, including such old friends as Professor Alan Wright. As a keen cyclist, Ken has put his pedalling power towards successful fundraising by competing in several triathlons. A demanding job as facilities manager at one of Edinburgh's breweries is now putting much pressure on his time. So from all of us in the South East Scotland branch, cheers, Ken. The post of branch secretary, vacated by myself at the AGM in June, has been more than capably filled by George Playfair, who I'm sure will receive much support from his wife, Aileen. Keeping things in the family, their daughter Helen Walker, who works as a sports administrator at the Inverclyde Outdoor Sports Centre, ran a 10-kilometre race earlier this year, raising a tremendous £1,000 in sponsorship for the society. I am looking forward to my stint as branch chairman, particularly at a time when research into RP is going so well. Our next branch meeting will be on the Saturday 13th of September, but members will receive a newsletter and reminder shortly before then. Please do come along for a coffee and a chat. My contact details are John Honeyman 01592 756 833. South Wales branch, De Cymru. Beryl Hughes and Athenia Maddock. Apologies for not contributing to the summer newsletter, but we hope to catch up on all the news now. Alternative meetings of the branch at two venues, Neath and Carmarthen, have proved successful and we hope to continue, as this accommodates members from a wider area. Last Christmas buffet at the Ivy Bush Hotel in Carmarthen was attended by 20 adults and five children. In the new year, a buffet was held in the Constitutional Club, Neath. Everyone enjoyed the festivities and members were encouraged to put forward ideas for the future of the branch. The AGM at Neath on 6th of April went well, only one of the officers retiring. Marion Evans, who has been our treasurer for a long time, has handed over to her daughter-in-law, Tracy. Thank you, Marion, for all your work over the years and welcome to Tracy, who, with husband Neil and their two boys, are regular hard-working members. On the 22nd of June, 16 people were present at our Carmarthen meeting to hear our chairman, David Morgan, report on the BRPS AGM held in Bournemouth. It was all very encouraging to our small but enthusiastic branch. We were desperately sorry to hear of the death of two of our original members. The first was Stuart Richards of Swansea, whose charm and humour were the highlights of our gatherings until ill health prevented him and his wife Annie from attending. Our thoughts and sympathy go to Annie and the family. We will remember Stuart with affection. Mervyn Davies and his wife Maureen from Merthyr were always supportive of the branch, hardly missing a meeting until Mervyn became too sick. They were always warm and friendly, and our deepest sympathy goes to Maureen, along with our thanks for the £500 in lieu of floral tributes, which was donated to BRPS. 
£2,000 has been bequeathed to the South Wales branch by Mrs Jean Kirby of Preston and various donations from hard-working fundraisers has enabled a further substantial cheque to be sent to the research fund. Finally, a reminder of dates of future meetings. September the 7th at Constitutional Club Neath at 2pm. Guest speaker Janet John of RNIB Crimru. December the 7th at Ivy Bush Hotel, Carmarthen, Christmas lunch, 12 noon for 1pm. West of Scotland branch, Ian McLenaghan. This year, our branch representatives at the annual general meeting and conference in Bournemouth were our branch chairman, Willie Renfrew, and Marion, his wife. They both enjoyed themselves, meeting many members from the branches as well as our visitors from the States, members of the management committee and several trustees. The employees of Alba Life, where Billy Stewart works, have once again donated the magnificent figure of £2,567 once the tax is reclaimed. They contribute weekly to a fund for permission to dress down, and what they collect is given to a charity of their choice. Our thanks go to Billy for once again making such a good case on our behalf. Tony Coffey took part in a run in his home territory of Bolton and did extremely well. Nearer home, Lynn Barr's good friend called Jackie ran in the Glasgow 10 kilometres for women and did very well. Our grateful thanks go to her for supporting us. What an elegetic lot we have in our midst. We would point out that both runners approached Kate at head office and she supplied them with properly printed BRPS sponsorship forms which, when correctly completed and signed, allow us to claim back tax on their donation if they are taxpayers. I like the idea of our on-treasurer putting his hand into Gordon Brown's back pocket and relieving him of quite a few extra pounds. With our annual can collection at East Kilbride on Saturday the 16th of August, we'd like to think that members and friends will support us, so if you're not on holiday and can spare some time, please give Willie or Marion Renfrew a ring. Come on now. You've got to help out, if only for two hours. Their number is 01505 812 840. And please don't leave it to the last minute. Yorkshire branch, Mary Horsey. Fundraising for this year is now on its way, with £4,000 having been sent to the fund for research. Unfortunately, we do not think the branch will reach the same amount as last year, but we will continue to try. The few of us who continue with collections year after year would be so grateful if more members and their families would give support. Could you look to arranging collections in your town or area? A one-day collection at your local supermarket could be most rewarding. There are many other ways of collecting money. How about having a coffee morning and having a bring and buy stall and raffle? You would be surprised at the satisfaction you receive by being able to send some money to BRPS towards research. We will give any advice and support if you require it. Please just think again. All of us, if fit and able, should be working to the same end, a treatment and cure for RP. Our thanks go to those who have already helped this year with collections in Hull, Sheffield and Chesterfield areas. Special thanks to Jane England, who raised £811 with a bowling night. Thanks also go to Peter Thompson for arranging for BRPS to be the charity of Bridgehouse Golf Club this year. Also to the work colleagues of Richard Padmore, who sent a cheque for £100. We were sorry to hear that Edith Brain had an accident and injured her shoulder, which necessitated an operation. Unfortunately, she and Don had to cancel their collection in York. At the time of writing, Edith has had her operation and is now slowly recovering. Don has also been unwell. We hope that they will both soon feel well and send them our best wishes. Hot news. A stride for sight has just been agreed with the Humber Bridge Authority for Saturday the 27th of September. Please contact me at 01246 569924 or David Stevens at 01482 856040 for details and or sponsor forms. For those wishing to walk with us, the length of the bridge is two miles and we hope to walk both ways. Should be a good day out, concluding with a picnic. And a bit of late news. As I am about to send this issue to the printers, I have heard from the community fund that they have agreed the terms of our contract with the Institute of Ophthalmology. I am confident that at last we are underway. Editor. Next newsletter. Items for inclusion in the next newsletter, Winter 2003, must be with the editor by 10th of October 2003. The editor's address is Mr S. D. Higgins, 54 Paddock Road, Newbury, 
Berkshire, RG147DG. And finally, this is the last time you will hear my voice on the BRPS tapes. I'm leaving BRPS in a couple of weeks to take up a post elsewhere. I've enjoyed my association with the Society over the past five years, and I wish you all well. RP Fighting Blindness, number 108, autumn 2003, the newsletter of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. Your readers are Jerry Rust, Lorna Matthewman, Jeff Strutt, and Terry Penny. Three of us are members of the Old Jailers Music and Drama Group from Buckingham. In this issue, editorial, lottery update, secretary's notes. AGM report, greetings cards, prize draw, fundraising, welfare news, research grant, taking steps, quiz, and branch news. BRPS is grateful to Lloyd's TSB PLC for sponsorship of this newsletter. Under our system for providing you with a taped version of the BRPS newsletters, you no longer need to return the tapes after you have finished listening to them. British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, registered charity number 271729. The Honorary Secretary is Mrs Linda Cantor, MBE, BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18, 1GZ. Telephone number 01280 821334 for office inquiries. Email info at brps.org.uk. The website is www.brps.org.uk. The welfare manager is Mrs. Anne Fisher. 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, near Royston, Hearts, SG87RD. Telephone number 01763 208045. The helpline number is 01280 Membership subscriptions. Single membership is £10. Subscriptions which are due on the 1st of January should be made out to BRPS and sent to the Secretary at BRPS PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ. Any donations above the £10 subscription will be most welcome and received with grateful thanks. Braille copies. Please contact the office if you need your newsletter in Braille. Editorial by Selwyn Higgins A few years ago I reported that the search for a cure for RP could be likened to climbing a hill and that we had reached the point where the summit was in sight. We've moved on from there and we're now at the point where we should be able to step onto the flat bit at the top. Unfortunately, someone has erected an enormous fence around the summit and we have to find a way over it. It is a barrier met in all areas of medical research 
and was the subject of a special symposium which took place in the morning of this year's AGM. An outline of this two-hour meeting is given in the AGM report in this newsletter. In brief, we can cure mice, rats and dogs of several forms of RP, but we are not allowed to treat humans. Yet. The AGM was very well attended, and I derive a special pleasure from being able to meet so many old friends who go back many years. There are changes in appearance when you look closely, but on the whole they are still the same cheery, dedicated bunch that I knew many years ago. As Professor Marshall pointed out, the photographs in Who's Who must be negatives because the hair colour is wrong. They show black hair in cases where it is now distinguished white. Editor has vowed to chase them for new photographs next year. However, I must add that in addition to the old faces, it was encouraging to see so many young ones and to hear questions from young people who are keen to get on with the job. They are our future. May we see many more of them. Lottery update by Selwyn Higgins. Having announced our award from the community fund in the last issue, I said that I would keep you updated on progress. The position at the time of writing is this: we were told of the award of one hundred and forty-five thousand two hundred and fifty-seven pounds for a three-year project by Professor Batacharia on the twenty-first of March. So far, we are still awaiting a formal permission to proceed. The offer included a set of extra conditions which have to be met, and these address mainly the setting up of monitoring procedures. We also have to produce a contract with the Institute of Ophthalmology that meets the latest requirements of the Community Fund. I have now expanded our regular two-page agreement to a five-page document with fourteen pages of appendices. I have also produced a dissemination plan and set up a project steering committee. A full set of relative documents are currently with Community Fund for approval. This is where most of the delay has arisen. Every document that I send in for approval spends a time in an in-tray before it is looked at, so it is often several weeks before I receive any comments. However, I believe that we are now down to fine-tuning of most clauses, and I am hopeful that by the time you read this, the research will be underway. Perhaps I can use this opportunity to make an appeal to branches. As part of the dissemination plan, I have promised that Shomi Bhattacharya will make about three visits to branches in years one and three, and two in year two. So far, I have booked one visit for year two. So, if branch secretaries are planning talks at their meetings, perhaps they could consider inviting Shomi and let me know how arrangements are progressing, as I will have to report back to the community fund on the timing and location of the visits. At the time of writing, we need one more for year two, and three for each of the other years. Please apply in the usual way through the BRPS office and assume a year to run from July to July. Secretary's notes by Linda Cantor. A lot of hard work went into this year's AGM in Bournemouth, and my particular thanks go to the members of the Hampshire branch and Dorset branch for their choice of venue. It made a pleasant change to be beside the seaside. I really enjoyed meeting up with old friends, but unfortunately there were not a lot of free time to socialise this year as the morning was taken up totally with the strategy seminar. I would like to welcome to the Board of Trustees Dr Tidu Maney, Pro-Rector at Imperial College London, and I look forward to working with Dr Maney. If you are arranging next year's holidays, you might be interested to know that the next Retina International Congress will be held in Norvik, the Netherlands, 2nd to the 3rd of July 2004. More details are available at www.retinanederland.org and Stephen Jones, our RO representative, will be giving more details in a later edition of our newsletter. I hope you all enjoyed a sun-filled summer. AGM 2003. The 2003 annual general meeting of BRPS was held at Bournemouth University on Saturday the 21st of June 2003. This proved to be an excellent venue with a large and a small lecture theatre available to us in addition to a spacious foyer, a large area for exhibition stands, a food area and all of this on one level and well lit. A special thank you is due to Alan Foster for organising the whole thing, to Jean Bradshaw and Steve and Adrienne Harris of the Dorset and Hampshire branches for arranging the venue, and to Shirley and Jackie from the University, who dedicated the day to helping us and sorting out all of our little problems. 
We had a good turnout, with between 180 and 200 people attending the afternoon session. Symposium. During the morning, there were the usual exhibition stands and talks by the exhibitors on the vast array of equipment and services now available to help the visually impaired lead a life that is as active as possible. However, this year there was an additional feature in the morning. This was a symposium in the small lecture theatre in which leading scientists and branch chairmen were able to discuss tactics for the next stage in the battle to find treatments. The meeting was chaired by Professor John Marshall and our two principal guest speakers were Dr Jerry Chader, who was Chief Scientific Officer for the US Foundation Fighting Blindness, and Michael Griffiths, Chief Executive of RP Ireland, who has for some time been investigating the intricacies of links with major drug companies and forming contacts within the European Union. In the editorial, I referred to a fence that blocked our way towards treatments. This symposium described the problem and considered possible routes to overcome it. We face a major step in converting what has been achieved in the laboratory over the past 20 years into treatments that can be used on human beings. As Dr. Chader pointed out, we can cure mice, rats and dogs of several kinds of RP, but in order to transfer this knowledge to human beings, we need to involve drug companies in the development of treatments in a form that can be safely administered. An average cost for the launch of one new drug is around £60 million. This is made up of many thousands of hours of research work, plus the cost of obtaining approval from state regulatory bodies such as the FDA in America and the NICE in the UK. And this approval is extremely costly. These government bodies require van loads of paperwork which involves considerable costs, the legal element alone costing millions. We can approach this problem on two fronts. First, the development of treatments acceptable for humans. Due to the diverse nature of RP, with well over 90 known genetic causes, there will not be a single treatment. This means that the number requiring a particular treatment will be small in terms of potential sale of drugs. In the UK, it could, in some cases, be as few as 200 people who could benefit from a particular treatment, and this means it will be very difficult to arouse interest in the major drug companies when there is such a vast potential in more common diseases. Worldwide, the number of RP sufferers is about 2 million, so the number for some treatments is still only 20,000. However, there are smaller drug companies with whom we could liaise, and it is proposed that we should approach some of these, not just in the UK. Secondly, we face the major problem of the cost of approvals by government agencies. This is something that we shall tackle by lobbying. Nobody doubts the need for stringent testing of any treatment that is allowed into the public domain, but there is no doubt that a considerable amount of very costly bureaucracy could be removed from the process. General Session The afternoon session of the AGM was opened by the Mayor of Bournemouth, Councillor Ray Smith, who welcomed members to Bournemouth and spoke of the interest he had derived from the morning exhibition of equipment, some of which he will attempt to install in public buildings in the town. This was his first introduction to RP, but he felt that he now had a reasonable understanding of the problems faced. Our chairman, Sir Alan Rudge, opened the business proceedings by welcoming members and our two overseas guests, Jerry Chader and Michael Griffiths. He thanked our sponsors for the day, Orange Telecommunication. Their representative, John Haskins, gave an interesting description of the services that Orange can now provide to disabled mobile phone users, including those visually impaired. The minutes of the 2002 AGM were approved, and Sir Alan gave an update on our progress in the year, ending December 2002. During that period, we made seven research grant awards, totalling 517000 £873, and he praised the efforts of members who, through every imaginable form of fundraising, had made this possible. There is obvious concern over the loss of several branches, in every case the result of lack of interest by local members and reluctance to take on local committee work. He mentioned that in the past Linda had visited most branches, but circumstances now made this very difficult for her. Our welfare manager, Anne Fisher, had filled this gap to some extent by visiting a wide range of branches. 
other members of the management committee have also visited and spoken at branches. The accounts were very ably explained by our on-treasurer, George Thompson. I will not go into detail here, as every member has a copy of the trustees' report and accounts, which sets out the situation in detail. Overall, fundraising for the year has, was down on the previous year, caused to some extent by a drop in branch fundraising, but more significantly by a fall in donations and legacies. These are always unpredictable, but the situation was given a welcome boost at the end of the year by a generous donation of £100,000 from Garban International. An interesting point is that street collections, tin shaking, represented 33% of the society's income from branches. George has, for several years, kept a league table of street collections and top branch, once again, was Hampshire, with Yorkshire and Coventry a close second and third. In spite of the drop in income, we spent £44,000 more on research than the previous year, which still left a balance of £247,325. This reserve is needed to back the second and third years of certain projects, as we only commit for one year at a time, even on three-year project. The auditors, Haworth, Clark, Whitehill, were proposed and approved for a further year. The Management Committee Chairman, Roger Green, announced there was a need to elect a member to one vacant post, that of Public Relations Manager. There was only one name proposed for the post, and Mireille Portlock, who has been working in that position as co-opted member for six months, was elected by an overwhelming show of hands. She has a large workload ahead of her. Roger thanked three members who had given support to the Management Committee over the past year. They are Steve Jones, our representative at Retina International, Jonathan Abro, who set up and looks after our website, and Alan Foster, who has taken on the task of organising our AGMs. The business session of the AGM was followed by questions from the floor, the first being an appeal by Steve Jones for a young member to take on the job of BRPS Youth Representative at Retina International. Sir Alan closed the business session by thanking Alan Foster and others involved in the excellent organisation of this year's AGM. He took the opportunity of offering a special thank you to Sophie Montgomery, who, since recently joining the trustees, has made such a tremendous impact with her brilliant efforts at fundraising and obtaining sponsorship. Welfare. The welfare session was chaired by our welfare manager, Anne Fisher who outlined the work that is continuing in the branches and through the helpline and welcomed our guest speaker, Mr. Alan Mitchell from Access to Work. He opened by stating that one of their tasks was to persuade potential employers that disability does not mean inability. He explained the origins of Access to Work from its early days as part of the Department of Employment and Productivity. He explained that the scheme operates on a regional basis, which allows some flexibility. It means that though some areas may interpret the rules slightly differently to others, this can be a benefit as it allows flexibility and an element of discretion. The scheme promotes employment of disabled people in several ways. It makes grants to employers towards the cost of some items of equipment. It will pay towards the adaptation of premises such as building guide dog compounds. It is recognised that problems arise not just at work but in getting there. Access to work will therefore make a contribution to travel costs, such as paying the difference between a taxi and the bus fare. It will also fund support workers, such as readers, who will usually attend part-time to read documents onto tape or to act as note-takers. It rarely funds specialist equipment outright. The normal process is for the employer to buy the equipment with an element of support from A to W. There followed questions, centred mainly around an understanding of who owns specialist equipment. A typical question was, if we leave a job, why can we not take the equipment with us as it is so useful in applying for the next job? The answer to this is that the employer is the owner of the equipment. He may decide to donate it to the person leaving, but he can also decide to retain it for the next disabled person employed. This was followed by the question, why cannot access to work buy and own the equipment? And the answer was cost. Some members related tales of problems and successes when dealing with access to work in their own area. Dr Mitchell concluded by stating that the move towards equal opportunity for disabled people is slow, but it is progressing. Research. The research session was chaired by the chairman of our medical advisory board, Professor John Marshall, who opened by welcoming our guest speaker, Dr Jerry Chader, from the Foundation Fighting Blindness USA. Dr Chader has been for many years a research scientist, a speaker at major meetings and a manager. 
Dr. Chader began by stating that we are moving to clinical trials in spite of the obstacles quoted in the morning symposium. We now know at least half of the genes responsible for RP in its many forms. We must now genotype, that is, decide which particular gene is responsible for RP in your family. The USA is now beginning to set up some genotype screening centres. Basic research has progressed remarkably well over the past 20 years, from the work of Alan Wright and Shomi Bhattacharya in 1984, to the discovery of the first RP gene by Peter Humphreys in 1989, and through to the stage where we can now cure certain animals that suffer from RP. We now know of around 90 gene mutations, any of which can cause forms of RP. If an inherited gene has a fault, its product, a protein, will be wrong. Remember, genes are the instructions. Proteins are the building blocks. Over the years, we've described various forms of gene therapy that are possible. There are several animals that suffer from RP, the RD mouse, the RCS rat, and the Briard dog being some examples. Perhaps the most encouraging breakthrough recently has been with the Briard dog, which suffers from a particular rapid form of RP called Leber's amaurosis. Briards with this condition are blind a short time after birth. So far, over a period of three years, 48 Briards have been treated, with only three failing to respond to treatment. An interesting example is a dog called Lancelot. He was treated with gene therapy in one eye at birth three years ago. The untreated eye has been blind from shortly after birth, but the treated eye is performing so well that he can repeatedly jump and catch a ball that is thrown to him. Work to progress this treatment to human trials is underway. Photoreceptor cell transplantation has not proved successful. There have been encouraging results on the transplantation of pigment epithelium cells, which are in effect the support system for the photoreceptors. A reasonable degree of success has been achieved with the implants of microchips. These work in various ways, as described in earlier newsletters, but the basic principle is that a very thin photodiode array in the form of a microchip is inserted either on or between the layers of the retina. These have been inserted without rejection over a long period of time and have been shown to respond to light. Up to now, they've not produced meaningful pictures, but there is optimism that given time, this will be achieved. The great hope for the future is stem cells, which can be made to grow into a particular type of cell that is needed, and it is believed will be able eventually to replace lost photoreceptor cells. A very useful guide to their potential is in the BRPS booklet Stem Cell Therapy. Another area being researched is pharmaceutical therapy. This is a process where selected drugs are used to keep cells alive as long as possible. Scientists know of around 20 agents that have a potential to prolong cell life and slow the course of RP, but these are not yet available for human use and could, at the current stage of development, involve weekly injections into the eye. The processes need a lot of refinement. About 10 years ago, an intensive study on the effects of vitamin A was carried out in the USA and the results suggested a slight benefit, but the results were very marginal. The balance could have been tipped slightly towards benefit by the possibility that one of two types of RP might respond. Dr. Chader warned members not to rush off and take large doses, as this could be harmful. However, we should stick to a healthy diet that is rich in fish, carrots, etc., in order to maintain the required intake for healthy eye function. An area showing considerable promise at present is the use of neurotrophic growth factors, where a slow-release capsule containing the appropriate agent is inserted into the eye. The slow release of material from the capsule has been shown to slow the deterioration of photoreceptor cells in animals, and clinical trials of this system are due to begin this year. Details of this trial are currently under discussion with the American FDA. Questions were invited from the audience, and these hinged on several points of major interest. The first was on cod liver oil capsules. Are these helpful? And the answer was that they, re they represent a good natural source of vitamin A that can be grouped along with the foods mentioned earlier. On the question of quantities of vitamin A, it was pointed out that people should avoid large doses of pills but eat a healthy diet containing the necessary elements. Which of the three types of RP would be the first involved in human trials? It was stressed that there are three inheritance patterns and that each of these can contain many variant types of RP. The work on the Briard involves Liebers, and this will probably be the first suggesting that some of the excellent conditions could be early in the frame. Is information shared internationally? What about those treatments that do not work? 
Yes, information is available across the world, but people in some countries will ignore the evidence and continue to change money for cures, which have no chance of working. How can we check that our family is listed on the Moorfields Genotype Register? The chances are that you are on, but you can always check with Moorfields to be certain. What types of stem cells will we use and how will we take them? We have two sources, adult cells from the patient's own eye or embryonic stem cells which are more flexible in their potential. The major source of these is in in vitro fertilisation clinics which fertilise many eggs but only use one, the remainder they discard. Could potential RP treatments benefit other parts of the body? The retina is part of the central nervous system and it's highly likely that agents that benefit the retina could also benefit areas of the brain. This will help in our quest to interest drug companies in working on our problem. The meeting concluded at around 5pm when members enjoyed hot and cold drinks and a tasty finger buffet whilst listening to the results of Colin and Linda's national prize draw. The list of winners is printed in this newsletter. Greetings cards. Pauline Clayton from Oxfordshire is an artist and she, she has turned some of her paintings into greetings cards for sale on behalf of BRPS. I have seen some of the paintings and I was most impressed. Those who attended the AGM this year will have seen the stall put up by Pauline and her husband to show and sell some of the cards. She is offering a range of greetings so you can select not just the cards of your choice but also the greetings which you feel are most appropriate. There are eight choices of greetings ranging from Merry Christmas to Get Well Soon. For an order form, ring the office on 01280 821 334. Orders should be sent to Pauline, whose address is Pauline Clayton, Style House, Hilltop Lane, Chinna Hill, Chinna Oxen, OX 39 4BH. National Prize Draw 2003, Colin and Linda MacArthur. Here are the results of the draw made at the BRPS AGM in Bournemouth on the 21st of June 2003. Dr Jerry Chader, Chief Scientific Officer, Foundation Fighting Blindness USA, made the draw. Ticket number 01020, won by Janet Alder from Epsom. The prize was a week self-catering holiday, kindly donated by Pontins. Ticket number 21921, Jay Goodall, Enfield, a £100 holiday voucher kindly donated by Harry Shaw City Cruiser. Ticket number 52062, Miss Coxon from Edinburgh. Prize was £50 leisure vouchers kindly donated by Whitbread. Ticket number 47967, Miss Coor from Birmingham, a VIP tour for four kindly donated by Woburn. Ticket number 17010, won by N. Duncanson from Banchuri. A day return from Dover to Calais, kindly donated by P&O Ferries. And ticket number 08410, won by N. Carey from Malden. And that was two tickets to Alton Towers. A big thank you to everyone who bought or sold tickets. We sold £10,090 worth of draw tickets. We had £982.55 worth of expenses, posted and printing of tickets only. Thanks to you, we have been able to send £9,107.45 to the Research Fund. This means that over £100,000 has now been passed to the Research Fund from the prize draw since 1993. Can I say thank you to Colin and Linda for the tremendous amount of work they put into this annual draw? Fundraising by Maureen Nicholas Fundraising? I personally feel that it should be called fun-raising. I get great pleasure from events that I organise and lots of laughs along the way. Most events spring from a first simple idea. For example, a friend suggested we should walk to one of our local pubs for lunch. What a good idea. We can take the dog. This resulted in 20 people plus 20 dogs who were sponsored having a grand day out. Other such ideas have resulted in a sponsored slim even a sponsored haircut after my teenage son suddenly announced he was having his 24-inch long haircut. I begged him to wait one more day, flew around everyone I could, made a few phone calls and £50 was raised for RP. My brother has a large garden and I have raised £800 with a garden fate. 
It takes about a year to put one together, but it is very rewarding. We have had a float in our local carnival and won a prize plus money. I also sell anything I can get my hands on, such as books and unwanted gifts. I had a cake stall in the local town centre, and it rained all day, but we still raised £40. I have also raised money with Skittles machines, quiz nights and treasure hunt. Yes, it all takes time and patience, but I have been registered blind for five years now, so there is no excuse, as every penny we raise is going to help fight blindness. Good luck and just enjoy it. Welfare News by Anne Fisher Music is a source of great enjoyment for visually impaired people of all ages. The National Library for the Blind, NLB, holds the largest collection of Braille music outside the USA. They have 13,500 Braille music scores for loan as well as access to other international collections. You can choose from a wide range of vocal and instrumental scores from classical pieces and opera to popular music and jazz. You can browse the Music Library catalogue on www.nib-online.org or you can contact the Music Librarian for help and advice at NLB, Far Cromwell Road, Breadbury, Stockport, SK6, 2SG, telephone 0161 355 2045. Created by the National Library for the Blind in consultation with VI Internet users, www.a-sites.org is a gateway to hundreds of accessible websites. The site offers a wide choice of links to websites, ranging from high street shopping to finance, sport and technology. Action for Blind People's Welfare Rights Service provides special advice to blind and partially sighted people, their friends, family, carers and professionals, partners and service providers throughout the UK on the range of social security benefits they are entitled to claim. You can contact them by telephone on 020-7635-4800 from 9 to 5 Monday to Friday by email benefit underscore check at afbp.org by post welfare rights action for blind people 14 to 16 verney road london se 16 3dz cobalt systems have introduced a new device which can detect color shaped like a torch it has a lens at the top that you place on whatever color you need to be red it is suitable for clothes and is helpful when you want to know what is in a tin for example it will tell you orange for baked beans, red for tomatoes. It can also read hair and skin colour. The talking colour detector can speak several languages, be used in the right or left hand and has an earpiece for privacy. The cost is £49.99. For more information call Cobalt Systems on 01493 700 172 or email cobalt, that's C-O-B-O-L-T, at compuserve.com. BT is now able to offer a talking phone bill. You can arrange for someone to telephone you and read out your bill and explain any queries. You can also receive your bill in large print or on disk. An email version may soon be available. Telephone 150 from your BT phone and follow the prompts to sales and then to an operator. That is the end of side one of the tape. Please turn over to listen to side two. <laughs>